It's the Bears lot. I'll spare you the monologue this week. I have written so much about this damn game, I have nothing left to say. We'll go right to Cam Worrell. Cam started doing these spots with me, God, about 10 years ago. I gave him, quote-unquote, his break. He was not doing media. He was not doing broadcasting. He started doing stuff with me, and he's blown up. He's out now on Fresno State Broadcast. He's doing a hell of a job. I had questions I wanted to ask him. I wanted to know about Packer Week. I wanted to know about cold-weather teams going to warm-weather climates. I wanted to know what it's like to be on a defense that is perceived to be dominant. And, And I wanted to know from someone who's been in a defensive huddle in defensive meeting rooms why Vic Fangio insists on dropping Khalil Mack into coverage. He gets into all that stuff. It's 20 really good minutes that I think you're going to enjoy. So here's Cam. Jeff, what's up? Hey, Cam. How you doing, bud? I'm doing good, man. How are you? I'm doing good. I thought about you on Sunday night when I was watching that Bears game, and I was thinking, we we haven't seen something like this. We haven't seen a defense in this, even the good defenses of the last few years, even the way they played earlier in the season. We hadn't seen a game like that where I don't care how long that game went on for, I don't think the Rams were getting another point. And no. I started thinking back to to the mid-2000s. And I said, i got to talk to Cam because my first question is, from a locker room perspective, like where is that locker room right now as they get ready for Packer Week? Is there a feeling right now, do you think, in that defensive locker room that they can't be beaten? Yeah, that's, that's exactly what they're feeling. I can remember, I think – you know, a couple of examples. One was 2005 against the Titans when we beat them in overtime, and I don't think we scored an offensive touchdown in that Monday night game that everybody remembers. The Bears are who we thought they were game. We scored. We scored on special teams, but the feeling after that was we're destined to do great things. Like we're going to the Super Bowl. Nobody can beat us if if our offense does anything, gives us any support. Nobody can beat us. Nobody in the league can beat us. And that's what that off our defense is feeling after that performance. I mean, the best or with New Orleans, one of the best offenses in the league, period. And they dominated them. So they have to be feeling like they don't care who they're playing, where they're playing. They can dominate a football game just like they did against the Rams. So the big change, and one of the big changes in, in this team, and for somebody like you who played in the secondary in the NFL, explain to me how a secondary comprised of the same guys that were there a year ago, how all of a sudden they have 25 interceptions. I mean, it, it, it's, 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 they didn't have 25 interceptions the last three years combined. So... Is that just the influence of the big time pass rush forcing? But I'd like to take that back because it's not because we're seeing instinctive plays from Eddie Jackson. We're seeing Kyle Fuller make plays on the ball. I mean, explain to me as best you can how a secondary goes from what they were a year ago to what they are this year. 
Well, I think, you know, Eddie Jackson obviously is, is one of the most instinctual, intelligent safeties that it plays in the NFL right now. And I think that he has such an impact on that defense as a whole, but Kyle, Kyle Fuller and, and rightly so he's gotten a lot of, uh, flack for not catching the football and not having good hands. And I think he's really worked on that picks that he's dropped over his career. He's starting to, to pick those off. Bryce Callahan is such a good slot, uh, corner nickel corner. You know, he, he's, he's a rare find a guy who was undrafted that has really blossomed into a guy that is so good in the slot. And I think, you know, when you have that mentality of a defense, a lot of times it's just, you know, what the message is, what your focus is, what is preached every day. We're going to get the ball. Our goal is not just to limit receivers effectiveness. Our goal is to when the ball is in the air, take it away from the offense. And I really think that a mindset like that is, it permeates throughout an entire secondary and you see that, you know, personified on the field, you actually see that message played out during games. So I think that's the mentality of this secondary. They know that quarterbacks are going to have a little bit less time to throw the football, you know, and, and what really impresses me. And I think what separates this defense a little bit from, you know, what we did this defense you know, they change based on their opponent. When, when we played in Lovey's cover two, like we did what we did and we forced the offenses to change to what, how we were going to defend them. But if you watch that Rams game, this defense had such a great idea based on personnel down the distance movement before the snap or formations, what they were going to get. Nobody was moving around. They understood, okay, if this motion happens, Todd Gurley's probably going to get the ball and it's going to run weak side, you know, or based on formation, they understood what route combinations they would get. And when you know, the, when you know, you know, the answers to the test, you just go and, and pass the test. And that's what the Bears defense did on Sunday night. The question I'd have, again, so I'm calling what this the secondary do, is doing now at the reverse Vasher, which is go from a team that doesn't pick the ball off to picking it off almost every time. Does it does it change how you play in the secondary when you know you have this pass rush? Because I, as good as those defenses were in 05-06, the, the pass rushers were kind of workmanlike. It was the Alex Browns. It was the Agunlier types. It was, I mean, those guys weren't 15 sack of seasons. Those guys weren't getting double and triple teamed every play. When you know you have Khalil Mack and Akeem Hicks, out there, and they're going to disrupt just about every pass play. Does it change how you play in the secondary? Yeah, of, of course. Uh, and, you know, I think what – you're right. We didn't have elite pass rushers on that on that defense. I think Tommy Harris, when he was healthy, is probably the Absolutely, exception to yeah, that. That's, you know, that's my mistake. Tommy, but, when Tommy was healthy, no. he was elite. Yeah, but you know, but, you know, and I, and I think we, we win the Super Bowl going away if Tommy's healthy, but – uh, you know, what was so different for us is we knew, okay, we're going to rush for, and the, our D line might not get there, but they're going to shorten the clock of every quarterback we play. They are going to have to get rid of the football a little bit sooner than they're used to. So we know we can play a little bit more aggressively because that ball is going to come out sooner. And that's what this 
current defense, that's what this current secondary is doing. They know that I can sit a little bit because these routes don't have time to develop because our pass rush is so good because Khalil Mack will get there or Akeem Nix will get there or Leonard Floyd will get there. We know that we can be more aggressive. And when you can sit, you know, think about how much easier it is to play defense in the red zone, as opposed to, you know, a team starting at their own 20 yard line. There's so much more space to operate in the vertical passing game. There's so, so many more ways you can stretch a defense vertically well, when your quarterback doesn't have time, we can condense that field just because you don't have enough time to let your receivers' routes develop if you want to try to you know, attack this defense in, in the vertical passing game, if you want to run some deep combination routes that really you know, affect the zone defensive scheme. And that's what the secondary is doing. They're sitting on a lot of routes because they know, look, it's, it's either a, a, just a straight vertical route you know, or it's a post, a skinny post, a bang eight, something like that. These offenses can't run a lot of the deep crossers that we see or a lot of the, you know, post corners or corner post routes that people get beat on. Offenses can't run them because their quarterback will get hit in the back of the head. And if they do try and get something out early, the secondary, they're sitting on all of that stuff. Can you explain to me, because it, it, the one thing that frustrates a person like me and, and a lot of Bears fans, people, listen, I, I've told this story, uh, I'm friends with a GM in the league, and I watched tape with him once, and four minutes into that session, I, my head wanted to explode. I, I, just, I didn't realize until minute three how little I knew about the NFL. And I sat there, and I just started laughing. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he said, he said this is what we, we can't communicate to fans. We can't communicate how complicated this is. So here's my question. When Khalil Mack drops into coverage on a third down, and all the fans see that. We all have the same reaction, which is, what are you doing? The guy is the best pass rusher on the planet. Let him rush the passer. What, mm-hmm. Explain to me a little bit of the, what the conceptual purpose is behind kicking a Khalil Mack and dropping him into coverage on third down. Well, you know, as an offense, when you're facing somebody like Khalil Mack and you're talking about protection with your offensive linemen, and, and a running back, maybe, especially on third down. The first guy that you have to account for is Khalil Mack. So, you know, you always have to, and you might not set your whole protection to Khalil Mack, but you always account for where Khalil Mack is uh, based on that defensive formation. So you know what you have to do to try to contain him, whether you're sliding to him, whether you're doubling him, whether you're chipping with a running back, you have to account for Khalil Mack. So what that does usually is it frees up the other, you know, especially three guys on the defensive line, but it also frees up if you send a linebacker, he's probably going to get a a one-on-one situation. Or if they slide to Khalil Mack, we can bring, you know, say uh, Bryce Callahan from the the nickel spot and he'll be free rushing off the edge because – you have to account for those guys that are in the box when that ball is snapped. So you can free up a lot of other rushers by dropping Khalil Mack into coverage because every offensive line is going to account for Khalil Mack. They're going to do something in protection extra. It's not just very rarely is Khalil Mack going to be 
in a one-on-one situation with an offensive tackle. He's going to get chipped. You're going to double him. You know, the tight end might try to get a piece of him before he gets out on his route, but there, you have to account for him. And that creates one-on-one matchups for everybody else, or it, it simply gets free rushers to the quarterback. So I understand, uh, I understand fans' frustrations when you see Khalil Mack dropping and the Bears don't get pressure because Khalil Mack drops, but that's why you want to try to free up other guys or, hey, get a key mix in a one-on-one situation with a center or a guard. You know, get Roquan Smith one-on-one with a guard blitzing the B-gap. You know, get Leonard Floyd one-on-one on the opposite side of the formation. Those are the things that you're trying to do when you drop a guy like Polo Mack in coverage. So it's, it's, it's deception more than anything else. It's not, it's not necessarily it, – it's almost taking Khalil Mack and saying, we're going to put him in a position you're not expecting him to be in. And by doing that, it's going to create mismatches for our other guys. They're not actually – I guess the way to phrase it is they're not actually expecting Khalil Mack to do a good job covering. They're asking Khalil Mack to deceive what the offense perceives he's going to do. Exactly, because – because they know that the offensive line has to account for Khalil Mack in protection. You have to, you have to, you know, either, like I said, you either set your protection to him or you send an extra guy to help on Khalil Mack. When you do that, you free up a lot of possibilities with everybody else in that front seven or eight or bringing a nickel. So that's what it is. Khalil Mack, I'm sure it's fine. You know, he, he, he can drop in coverage, but when he's dropping, somebody else is adding to that rush. So he's not expected to play coverage in a regular situation. Somebody else is adding to that pressure to try and get that ball out a little bit quicker. All right, so two more before we wrap up. You are in a unique place because you played for the Bears and you played for the Dolphins. Uh, although you've told me some stories that leads me to believe you might not remember playing for the Dolphins. The, <laughs> here's, here's, the, here's, the, here's the question. When I see what happened Sunday night, I'm now convinced more than ever. I remember Michael Vick going to Soldier Field. Uh, mm-hmm. I remember seeing Tony Romo go to Soldier Field. I, is it just as simple as these teams show up there, feel the air, and just don't want to be there? Because I'll tell you, we've now seen it now for 20 years. These warm-weather, high-powered offenses show up, and they look like they want to get to the airport midway through the third quarter. And... It's now it's a trend. I, I I thought the Rams might be one of those teams, but they looked even worse than I expected on Sunday night. I mean, so is that some is that something that is that real? Do these teams get off get onto that field and go? I don't want to be here. Yeah, it is. I saw my I saw myself personally with Michael Vick. Michael Vick got hit on that first series by Brian Urlacher on a scramble, and he wanted nothing to do with the rest of that football game. He wanted to get on the plane and go back to Atlanta. So it's real. It's just, it's different, especially for a West coast team who is used to warmer weather. You know, you play a lot of your games during the day and then you have to go to Chicago and you have to sit around all day and it's cold. You don't want to go outside. And then when you do go outside, it's freezing. Then it gets even colder when the sun goes down and you get a little bit of that lakefront breeze. Yeah. Teams just don't want to be there. It's really difficult I think for offenses to operate in that, in the elements with that, you know, we know that soldier field turf is a little bit softer. It's a little bit slick. Like it's not like California grass or, or Florida grass. It's Midwest grass. It's a little bit right. muddy and that plays to that home field advantage. So, 
Yeah, it's really difficult. You have to have a lot of veteran guys who have been in a lot of those types of games, who have played a lot of night games or cold weather games, a team that has a lot of toughness. You know, Carolina came in in 05 and beat us in the playoffs in the, in the night game, but Steve Smith went off, and that team was a team that had gone to the Super Bowl the year before. So you have to have a veteran team if you're going to come into Chicago like that and try to win. And we saw with that Rams team, they wanted no part of, of that Bears defense after a while. Well, I will tell you that, going back to your earlier point, the 2005 playoff game against Carolina was one time where Lovey should have changed his defense because just allowing Steve Smith to blow the team off the field was not the right uh, approach. Um, that's, the, that's still, to me, the, the run, the, the, Joseph had died running through them in the Super Bowl was bad, but that game against Carolina – was just, I just remember watching going, I had, there's no chance. They have no chance to stop this guy. He might have 500 yards today. And I don't remember what he finished with, but he, did he, he finished in the twos, did he? I mean, he finished some I, crazy stat line. Yeah, whatever he finished with, it was, it was enough to win the game, and he was the best player on the field that oh, yeah. night, no question. And we helped him with, with our scheme. And I'll say about Joseph Adai, you know, our whole game plan in the Super Bowl, let Joseph Adai run. We'll make them kick field goals in the red zone. Let's just not give up anything big, and we bust the coverage, and we get a pick six, and that's the difference of the game. So that's it. All right, I can accept for that you. one a little bit more than Steve Smith. Yeah, I, I have other problems with the Super Bowl. One day we'll have a long chat about the Super Bowl. Right. I have other problems with that game. <laughs> but, um, Packer week is something we sort of fans joke about, people talk about. And I, I've I've long argued that I think the last ten years it just hasn't felt like anything because they're getting their doors blown off every game. Mm-hmm. There is talk now from guys on the team, Akeem Hicks leading that charge, that this week is different. They are angry about what happened week one. They 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 they, they I think they're going to play a great game Sunday. Was Packer week different for you when you were when when Lovey was coaching when you were there, or or was it another week? and the fans sort of lend something to it. Was it different for the players? Yeah, it was different. You know, one of the first things Lovey said was, we're going to beat the Green Bay Packers. You know, when he took the head coaching job of the Chicago Bears, that was one of the things he wanted to accomplish, was beat the Green Bay Packers. So we all we all knew he said that, and we all we took that upon ourselves to back up our head coach. And we wanted to beat Green Bay. I mean, Brett Favre was there. My rookie year in 04, we went up there in December. And I mean, mathematically, we had a chance to make the playoffs. We were not a playoff team, but we still had that chance. We, get, we went up there and, and got beat. But that's, it's, you know, it's so close. We took a bus up there one time. It felt like uh, when you pull up to Lambeau, you know, you're on a bus, you stay in Appleton, it takes you 30 minutes. It feels like a high school game. It feels like a high school rivalry game. So, yeah, every week, Packer Week meant more. We knew how much that Bears-Packer game meant to Chicago Bear football fans. I mean, my apartment complex, anytime I was out, Packer week was different. Everybody made sure and told me, hey, man, you guys got to beat the Packers this week. So everybody knows that. And I think this team, especially because of the one they let get away week one, I mean, we could potentially be talking about the number one seed in the NFC right now had they not let that one get away. So this team is going to be fired up. They're going to try to do everything in their power to not let that happen. You know, what happened in week one, they're, they're going to be pumped up to play this one. But yeah, as a whole, this game means a whole lot to this organization. They got, they got four losses this year by a point, by a yard and two overtime mm-hmm. games. 
I mean, they're very close to being a really special team. Cam, thanks again. Good to talk to you. Uh, we, i got to get you on more. I, I, I let the podcast go because everybody has a podcast now. It's like it's, it's, yeah. it's too much. Like every, 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 you, if you have a domain name, you have a podcast now. So right. I do them sporadically, but this is a great conversation. The stuff on Cleo Mac and stuff, I, I, I need to get into fans' ears because it just bothers us. Uh, and let's talk again. You know, maybe we'll get you on uh, in the playoffs in a couple of weeks, and we'll talk about some serious yeah. stuff because this, this team's Whoa. playing. We're going to January. Whoa. I love <laughs> it, man. We'll be awesome. Anytime I talk Bears, you, you know I love it. All right. Talk to you soon, Cam. Thanks, bud. Right. Thanks, Jeff. Of course. Have a good one, man. Reverend Dave is no longer in Africa. He's now in Paris. I love natural light. It's no secret. And a few weeks ago, I was, I was staying on the beach in Zanzibar, and so was wearing my location-appropriate Natty Light Hawaiian shirt. It's just a stunning garment. And it's the end of the day, and I'm sitting in this little beach hotel's bar lounge area, sending a few emails, finishing my drink. It's, it's a pretty chill place, you know, couches in the sand, a few small groups of people chatting quietly. Very, very chill. Well, it's about 10.30, and these two wasted American girls come stumbling in from wherever they'd been out drinking. And they're yelling and shouting and being obnoxiously loud, even by the standards of a fairly loud, obnoxious American like myself. And, I don't know, one of them had a cut on her big toe, and she throws herself down on the couch opposite me, yelling that she needs alcohol for my foot and also my mouth. And her friend is at the bar demanding a bottle of rosé and screaming back at her, I got you! I got you! And it's just, oh, they're so obnoxious. And once both of them have their drinks and the one girl's toe has been bandaged by the staff, the rosé girl flops down on the couch next to me. She looks over me fairly unsteadily and focuses her eyes for a second and then goes... Is that a fucking Natty Light shirt? And I have to admit that it is. And this precipitates me having to talk to this girl. And she's asking me all kinds of questions. Where am I from? What I'm doing here? And I'm responding, but, you know, in a monotone, voluntary nothing that I don't have to. I mean, she's not retaining anything I say anyway. And it's, it's very clear that, while not bad looking, she's one of those super obnoxious people that can't wait to accidentally drop how much they make into the conversation or blag about all the places she's been. I mean, she's the kind of girl who would have the Instagram that comes with 400 hashtag Rosé Life, hashtag well traveled hashtag hashtag uh she's also throwing out lots of random non sequiturs like see those people over there they're totally gonna have sex so in my head i'm trying to figure out how to extricate myself from this whole situation when my girlfriend calls and i'm oh perfect this is my way out except rose girl grabs the damn phone apparently she was convinced i was in contact with a hooker I, I i don't know that's literally what she told me this leads to a brief utterly incoherent conversation between the drunk ass rose girl and my girlfriend who has no idea what the fuck is going on and i re-secure the phone eventually and, and hang up and, and the rose girl was like who is that and i say well that was my girlfriend and Rosea Girl yells, You piece of shit! You fucking piece of shit! And apparently she thought I was burying the existence of the girlfriend, which is when I realized she was drunkenly thinking this terrible forced conversation was something way more than it was. So now I definitely gotta get the fuck out of here. So I, I close the laptop, I take the last swig on my beer, and I'm like, See you later. And she immediately starts begging me not to go, yelling at the waitress to get me another drink and shit. And when I say, I'm sorry, no, I, I really got to go, she ends up almost in tears 
tears and she starts wailing about how she can't believe she's begging a guy in a natty light shirt not to leave her and what is her life and to be honest those are fair questions so at this point I've managed to maneuver around her and I start walking out across the beach courtyard back to my room and you know from behind me again at this otherwise quiet lounge area in this beautifully peaceful little hotel she screams out fuck you Dave and continues to do this over and over again for my entire walk back to my room I've never seen anything like this Anyway, I I tell this story because in a world of fake news and alternative facts, there are clearly still some incontrovertible truths. One is that no one can resist the seductive powers of Natty Light, the nectar of the gods. And the second one is that this Bears defense is a fucking monster, and this team is going to be able to run with anyone in January. So fuck you, Dave, and bear the fuck down. read my game preview this week, you know what I'm expecting. I'm expecting the defense to dominate, and I'm expecting the Bears to win easy. And I'm expecting that 3 p.m. Central, 4 p.m. East, uh, a whole shitload of Bears fans are going to be celebrating our first division title in an awful long time. And I think it's a fitting way for this team to celebrate against their oldest rival. This team deserves the division title. They have been a terrific football team the entire season. Uh, This has been a great year to write about them, a great year to follow them, and a great year to care about them, to be honest. So I'm expecting this game to be not so close. Uh, I picked 27-13, and that's conservative. We've all been conditioned over the years to expect the Packers to beat the Bears. Well, let me tell you something. If they beat them right now, if they beat them in Soldier Field this week, I'm not sure we're ever going to beat Aaron Rodgers because they have no business even being in the game. Bear down.